Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Mission Possible. As Christians, we are called to be on mission, longing and working to see God known and worshipped by people from every culture, from our own city to the ends of the earth. Um, today's text is going to be from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And uh, as we're beginning, I do want to say I had a few people ask. Uh, I appreciate uh, Jer sharing last week on Psalm 2, uh, continuing our series. Talking about he did a great job. I listened to the teaching earlier in the week. Uh, I had a fantastic week down in Georgia getting to read and study. Uh, did a lot of reading and studying First Thessalonians, which is the next New Testament book we'll study and also on Sabbath, which we'll be studying next year, and some on the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, which we'll be studying next year. So everything's pretty much at least scheduled for next year. Now, i still got more work to do, but I had a great time being able to read and study, and I appreciate uh, everybody supporting and allowing me to do that. Uh, so today's text again, Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. You can follow along on the screen up here. I am going to talk a little bit of Greek and Hebrew today to help you all understand a concept that's really important uh, in this and some other scriptures. So hear now the word of the living God. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, in the Civil War, uh, General George McClellan became the leading Union general early in the Civil War. And uh, McClellan was an effective organizer. He loved drilling troops and kind of the spit and polish of the military. He loved getting the army organized. There was only one problem that developed. Uh, he didn't particularly like going against Robert E. Lee in battle. He didn't like actual conflict. Uh, he liked getting ready for it, but he didn't actually want to engage in the battle. He never really did engage Robert E. Lee fully. In fact, Lee was not even originally the main Southern general, but it was Lee's brilliant defense protecting down in Virginia that brought him to the forefront for the South. And at one point, Lincoln, President Lincoln, was so exasperated with General McClellan, he said, if General McClellan does not want to use the Army, I would like to borrow it for a time. Because McClellan just did not want to engage in the battle. And this indecisiveness, we can kind of laugh at it, but it actually prolonged the war needlessly and therefore increased casualties, death, and suffering, actually, because McClellan didn't do what he needed to do. And ultimately, the Union didn't have anybody who was willing to do it until they brought Ulysses S. Grant in, and he was willing to engage in battle. Now, I bring this up because McClellan was losing sight of the fact that he was supposed to lead the Army into battle. The Army was there to engage in battle, and the battle wasn't around Washington, D.C., where he loved drilling the troops. The battle was actually supposed to be happening in other places where there was real conflict, and that's where the army needed to be was where the conflict was. Now, this is important because in a similar way, we have a mission as the Church of Jesus Christ, and there are particular places where the battle really rages, and we are called not to be just in a huddle somewhere, but actually to be engaged on the front line where the battle is actually happening. And in fact, where it's at its hottest is where we are called to be. So what does that mean for us then in mission? Well, one of the things that that certainly means is that we are called to reach out to what are known as unreached people groups. That is where the battle actually is, and it is where the church is called to go. And churches that aren't engaged in that part of the Great Commission are somewhat like General McClellan. We're drilling, we're spitting polish, but we're never getting around to doing what we're supposed to be doing. So let's talk about this uh, concept today. Now, the goal, 
that God has for us in mission. We've been talking about mission this whole fall. Well, the goal is that there is to be a church for every people group. And I'm going to keep using this phrase, people group, and I'll talk about what it means in a couple of minutes. But I want to just show you some things in Scripture first that help us understand. If you notice, in John's vision in our text today, he tells us that I looked and before me was a great multitude, which should be encouraging to us, okay? Some people act like there are only going to be a few Christians, but in fact, John tells us that there is going to be a great multitude that no one could even count. This is a huge number of people. And this people come from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So they're not just from one particular country, or we now know even from one particular time, but they are from every nation and all across time. And what they're doing is they are standing before the throne, and notice that this people are not just the people who've been created by God, but in fact those who've been redeemed, because we're told what they are doing is they are singing out to God, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the goal here is a great multitude of worshipers. If you remember back to the beginning of the series, what propels us into mission is worship. Mission exists because worship doesn't. That's why we're on mission. As long as there are people who are not worshiping in this age, we are propelled into mission. But notice that the mission is not just that, well, we keep reaching out in some random place, but specifically we're told, John says, that there are people from every nation. Now the Greek word there is ethne. Jer mentioned this word last week. What, what word do we get from the Greek word ethne? Ethnic, okay? And in this case, that's, that's not always a good thing to do just because we got a, you know, like dunamis is where we got dynamite. That, that's not a good way to understand what the Greek word dunamis means because it doesn't blow things up, okay? But in this case, an eth ethnic does get to the idea of what an ethne is. We took it from there. And what that means is it is uh, a nation, and it's not talking about a political nation. It's talking about what I'm referring to as a people group, a group of people who are the same ethnic group. They, they share language and culture and worldview. They are together and they are one recognizable group. And John tells us here that it is from every ethne that these people come. And notice he even reinforces it with several other words. He says, in case you don't get that, he says, I'm talking about from every tribe and every language and every people. He, he's, giving, he's piling the terms up here because John's saying, I want you to know whatever way you break humanity down, there's some out of every lump that God is working and redeeming and bringing into the kingdom. It's not just a few. It's a multitude that no one can number, and they're not coming from just one or two places. They are coming from every tribe. Now, this is important for us because we need to understand when we are told that we're going to go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus is not talking about geopolitical groupings, okay? If you just think about it for a minute, the geopolitical groupings we have now didn't exist back in Jesus' time, and many of the geopolitical groupings he had then don't exist now. They change constantly. Now, to show you why this is different, I'm going to put up a couple of maps. This first map is, what is that? That's the continent of Africa, right? And we're all used to that, and you can recognize those boundaries there as being our geopolitical boundaries. Now look at this map. That's Africa broken down by people group boundaries. So do you notice, are there more or less people groups than there are geopolitical nations? There's way more. Some nations are broken into many people groups. I could put up a map of India, India is comprised of hundreds, probably thousands of people groups. They're all distinct. So you can't say, I reached India, or we've reached Africa, or even we've reached Nigeria. Nigeria is comprised of many people, some of which are very heavily penetrated by the gospel, and some of which there's virtually no penetration of the gospel at all. So in this thing here, what we're talking about is these are believers who are worshiping God, and this is the goal for us, a great multitude of worshipers comprised of people from every people group. And here's the good news. 
it will happen. Okay? I'm going to go ahead and say, in, in the Civil War, the North was going to win. The only question was whether General McClellan was going to be part of that or whether President Lincoln was going to have to find somebody else to do the job. Okay? Jesus is going to get people from every tribe and language and nation like he has promised. Only question is, will Bay Ridge be part of that? The answer is, yes, we are going to be part of that. But that's because we understand what he is doing. Now, I want you, us to see this is not new. It's not that John just came up with this here in the last book of the Bible. This was God's gospel promise to Abraham from long ago in a text we've talked about many times. In Genesis chapter 12, when God first calls Abraham, you remember he says, Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this promise here is that God is going to bless the nations through Abraham, but notice as he does it in parallelism, that, that blessing is actually that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, uh, in Hebrew, this is a word, and it's not important that you remember it, it's mishpahot, from which we get the word nothing, because we don't get anything out of Hebrew. Um, so the word actually means extended family or clan. I'm going to show you in a little while where it's used in another text that does that. The Greek word that was used to translate this again was ethnos. I'm going to bless every people group through you, Abraham. And it was this word mishpahot. I'll show you how large that group is in a little bit. But it's every ethne, the same thing that Jesus told us we were going to make disciples of, the same thing that John said I saw in my vision. And what God promised to Father Abraham was, is true. People from every mishpahot, people from every ethne, people from every people group were gathered around the throne. They were worshiping, and there were so many of them, they could not even be counted. Now, remind us that Paul tells us this text in Genesis is the gospel. The blessing that is being given is the gospel going forth. In Galatians 3, 8 and 9, Paul, quoting this text, says, The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. So notice the gospel is that God's going to justify the Gentiles by faith, that all people stand before God based on faith alone, not our ethnicity, not our keeping of the law, not whether we belong to a certain group or we've been through a certain exercise. It's great that Brandon just got water baptized. Is that going to justify him? No. Faith alone can justify. And so Paul says that God will justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the promise to Abram is the gospel, that all ethne, every people group, will be blessed through you. So that means that the gospel has to go to every people group. That's what God's promise to Abraham was. Not all the other little things we like to get wrapped around the axle about today and what this means for the geopolitical situation in the Middle East. Let me give you a clue. What it means is nothing. It has nothing to do with that. It's about the gospel going forth through Abraham's children, those who are of faith like Abraham. And John's vision is telling us it's going to happen. What God promised that Paul said was the gospel John says, I saw it, it was done, it's going to happen. And that means God is on mission to reach every people group. And we are called to join in on that mission. That's the call and the goal of the church. God is on mission. Now, let me step back and define this idea of people groups a little bit further for us and understand what they are. Again, looking at it biblically, when we want to talk about it, in Revelation 7, verse 9, we see that John defines it as every nation, tribe, people, and language. So notice it's not broken down by nation state there, but rather he, he says it's, it's a nation. I'm talking tribes which go within nation. Many nations have many tribes within them. I'm talking people, groups, ethne, and I'm talking languages. 
Okay, even because, again, many of those countries that we look at, they have many, many different languages within. There's only about 200 countries in the world. There are still almost 2,000 languages that don't have any portion of the Scripture in their language. That means there's almost 10 times as many languages that don't even have the Bible in their language yet as there are nations in the first place. There are many people, uh, many different parts that go into this. So the way this is, uh, I'll break it down a little bit more in a minute, and you'll see the, how this lines up with it. I mentioned that other word, mishpahot, not important for you to remember it, but where God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless all mishpahot are going to be blessed through you. This same word is used in Joshua 7, 14, where Joshua, this is with the sin of Achan at, at Jericho, and God's going to find out, show him who did it. And so he gives this instruction. He says, in the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe. So this is within the nation of Israel. How many tribes are there? Twelve tribes. So, so there are more tribes than there are nations. There's one nation, but there's 12 tribes within it. But then he says, and then the tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. That clan word is mishpahot. So a mishpahot that God promised to bless is smaller than the nation of Israel. In fact, it's smaller than the 12 tribes within Israel. It's clans within those tribes. God's breaking it down that far, saying, I'm going to reach. And then he says, the clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. So, you know, if we had Israel and we had the tribe of Judah and and we had then the clan of Hicks and then we had Tim's family and my family and, you know, Johnny's family and Jeremy's that's the way it's broken down. And it's the clan of Hicks, so to speak, that is the phrase mishpahot. It's something larger than an individual family, but smaller than even one of the tribes and much smaller than the nation of Israel. God has said, I'm going to bless all the way down to that level. It's not just, well, the gospel is going to get to America. No, I'm going to break it down into all the different groups that are within America because the gospel has to penetrate to every level like yeast going through dough. And so the mission sends us not to political nation states, but to people groups. Now, guys who are called missiologists, this is people who work thinking about mission stuff, one of the most important ones in the last 100 years or so was a guy named Ralph Winter. And he said, well, what do we mean by people group? And we're trying to define that. What does it mean? And he defined it this way culturally. A significantly large grouping of individuals who perceive themselves to have a common affinity for one another because of their shared language, religion, ethnicity, residence, occupation, class or caste situation, et cetera, or combination. What he's saying is, a people group is people you're like. You can talk to each other. You tend to view the world the same way. You have a lot of things that bind you together, and you say, this is us, and people who aren't like us are them. Now, this seems a little strange to us in America, but do you realize when, you, when you're in India, their states are called Pradeshes. When you go from one Pradesh to another in India, they don't speak the same language. Every state has its own language. So it'd be like if you drove from Maryland into Pennsylvania and suddenly they don't speak Maryland anymore, they speak Pennsylvania. That's a little bit strange, isn't it? And if that's the way it is, how good are you, how close culturally are you going to be to the people in Pennsylvania? Not very close, okay? And I can already tell you from having grown up down south, are there cultural differences between the south and up here? Maryland likes to think of itself as South, but, you know, it's, it's, it's really not deep South, trust me. It's, it's, it's got elements, but there's, there's distinctions. As a matter of fact, I was telling my mom last week, we were laughing. I had said I wanted to get some, and I did, and I wanted to get catfish because she said, well, don't they have catfish up there? I said, Mom, it, it's sad. I've tried it once or twice, but they need to just stop. It's sad. They don't know what they're doing with catfish. Y'all need to stop trying to do crabs down here. And, and we need to stop doing catfish. There's just cultural things. And Ralph Winter said, look, that's what binds you together as a people group. You talk the same. You tend to like the same food. You, you tend to look at the world the same. So you can communicate with each other. And people who are outside your group, it becomes much harder, especially when the language and culture thing gets in the way. And sometimes you do things exact opposite of one another. How many of you are aware if, if I am in 
Uh, this is true in Bangladesh, in India, and in Niger that I've been. If I walk down the road holding Tom Jr.'s hand, what does that mean? Other than that, Tom and I are incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, right. It means nothing. It means we're friends. Guess whose hand I would not hold walking down the road? My wife Linda's. That would be culturally completely inappropriate. How many of you find that a little strange? I was in Bangladesh sitting in an airport by myself, and a guy grabbed my hand and held onto it, and I have never prayed more fervently in my life, Jesus, help me. Because I am trying. I am eating weird food. I am dressing in strange clothes. I am trying to learn their language. But dear God, I don't want to hold a dude's hand. I mean, I am just struggling here, Jesus. Okay? Culturally different. In fact, the exact opposite. Would not hold my wife's hands. The guys hold hands all the time. They just sit there eating. We sit there and guys just holding hands. It's part of the culture. So, yes, it's, it's a little strange, let me tell you. Who wants to be a missionary? Um, now, let me throw up one more idea related to this and why this is important is we need to think about this evangelistically, okay? Because evangelistically, when we're talking about a people group, it's the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers or understanding or acceptance. In other words, when you change language, you can't reach out across it. How many of us in here could preach the gospel to somebody who speaks Hausa? Anybody? Hausa is actually the most popular language in all of West Africa. The, the phrase is about Swahili, but there's more people speak Hausa. But you and I can't reach the people who speak Hausa, okay, because we don't have the language thing. We get there, and we also discover they've got different tribal customs that we don't have. They're very different. And so the question is, then how do we break into that? You have to have people who can reach out to that group. Now, why this is important, there's about 7.4 billion people on the planet right now in about 200 countries. But there are about 16,500 people groups. 16,500. Now, if you break it down, it's about 9,800 unique people groups because, for example, the Hausa are in Niger. They're also in Nigeria, and they're spread out among a few other countries as well. But if you are Hausa in Niger, when you cross the border into Nigeria, you are culturally at home among the Hausa people, even though it's two different countries. So there's about 9,800 people groups. Now, why this is important for us is, remember the thing with General McClellan. There's a battle going on out there. But where the battle is going on is among unreached people groups. I'm going to, again, put up a definition by Ralph Winter. He was one of the guys who worked a lot with this. And here's what he said we mean by an unreached people group. It's a people group among which there are no churches with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without requiring outside, cross-cultural, that is, assistance. So there may be a couple of believers among a people group, but there's not enough of them to really be able to reach out. And when that's the case, what does the church need to do? We need to run to the battle in that spot. And we need to provide resources by prayer, by finances, Sometimes it's by instruction because they may have enough people, but they're not even aware that they really need to be reaching out because they're such a small part of their culture. They're just trying to protect themselves and not be noticed, and they got to be encouraged to get out, and they need instruction. But somehow or way, people from outside have to come in and work with them, and many people groups don't have sufficient people, finances, desire to reach their own people. And the only way they're going to be effective, it's kind of like if you've got an army that is losing, what does it need from the rest of the army, from the greater part of the army? You need reinforcements, okay? I could, I could swap metaphors and move from the American Civil War. For the Germans, Stalingrad and all was a disaster because Hitler refused to send in extra troops and basically abandoned an entire army, and the whole army had to ultimately either die, starve, or surrender. 
because he did not send reinforcements in, and there were simply not enough of them to fight the battle. Well, the same thing can happen with a people group and a church within it. Now, there are also what are known as reach people groups, and that's obviously a group that has a church with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize the remainder of the group with little or no outside, that is, cross-cultural assistance. So, There are a lot of people groups that have that, and we don't particularly have to help them anymore. The goal is to get people out of unreached people group into reached people group. And an example of that is, if you go back a little over 100 years, South Korea was comprised almost entirely of unreached people groups. The gospel had virtually no penetration in South Korea 100 years ago. We were sending missionaries, and in fact, the first missionaries that went to South Korea lived, served their entire lives, and died and saw few, if any, converts. Today, South Korea has a much higher percentage of evangelicals than America does and is the second largest mission-sending country in the world. So do we need to be helping South Korea anymore? No, South Korea is now helping other people. And if there are still pockets within South Korea, they have the resources to be able to help them and are actually engaged in things that are helpful like praying and and doing that. So there's a great story where a country that was unreached has become not only reached, but they're now assisting and reaching out to other countries. And they are on fire to be doing this. So that's kind of the concept. And I want you to see when we read a text like Revelation 7 and John says we're going to see people from every people group there. We can't just blow by that. How's that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen as we are engaged in the battle where the battle is going. There is a time that almost every one of the people groups that are represented in this room had no believers. There got to be believers so that you could hear the gospel because somebody went cross-culturally. It does not happen any other way. It's the way that God has designed it. You have to be, for example, if you go back in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who's a Jew, is going to go to the Gentiles. There's no other way for the Gentiles to be able to hear. Now, where are we at? What's the state of mission and battle? Let me throw a few statistics out for you. There are about 6,700 unreached people groups. I said that there were 16,500. 6,700 of them are unreached. That means if somebody doesn't go to them with finances, with prayer, with instruction, and people actually getting there to help them get things going, they have no way to reach their own people group. 6,700. About 40% of the world's population is in those 6,700 people groups. So these are not all groups of people where there's 150 of them. That's not what we're talking about. Some of these are millions upon millions. And there are either no known believers or very few. About 2 billion people are in groups with few to no known believers. Let that sink in. 2 billion. You remember earlier, I talked earlier in the series, where are we spending most of our resources in the Western church? Where do we put most of our prayer and our resources? Right back here. Does it sound kind of like General McClellan? We're drilling around, spitting polish, and the president, Jesus, (laughs) is saying, "Uh, there's a battle going on over here? If you don't mind, if you're not going to use the army, maybe I could use it for a while. Two billion with little to no access to the gospel. And let me explain what that means, folks. Is there anybody living in America that doesn't have access to the gospel? No. Everybody in America has heard and heard and heard the gospel. If you got a radio, it's on the radio. If you got a TV, it's on the TV. If you can read in one of 50 languages, we got stuff being printed and working out. If you're on a college campus, we got people who are working to try and reach those who've come from unreached people groups to schools here. If you are in America, there is access to the gospel. These folks 
are living in places where they don't have radio or they don't have TV. There are no known believers. If they have a dream about Jesus and they want to find out about him, they got to go on day's trek to find somebody who knows something about Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Two billion of them. And when they reach the end of their life, what are they doing? Dying. I got bad news for you. When they die, you don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card because you lived in an unreached people group. What is the only way to be saved? The gospel. There is no other way. We have got to be engaged in getting to them. About two-thirds of the world's population live in religiously restrictive countries. That means they don't want to let us in there, which means there's going to be a price to be paid to try and get in there because you can't just say, I'm here to tell people about Jesus. That's not the way it works. You have to do it covertly, and if you're caught, you may be put to death. That is a reality. Now, a lot of this is in what's known as the 1040 window. And we're going to put a map up on the screen here. The 1040 window is from the 10th parallel north to the 40th parallel north and runs basically from West Africa all the way out to Japan. Those countries there in red are the majority of what I'm talking about. And you can gauge and see there that that is the home to Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and many of the, uh, well, China is actually tries to oppress all beliefs and just tries to declare themselves to be atheistic. And there's also animistic religions there. The whole acronym called THUM that goes for that for tribal, Hindu, uh, Muslim, uh, unbelieving, and then Buddhist. Uh, and so that reaches across there. That is the majority of what we're talking about. You'll hear us occasionally talk about 1040 window. That's what we mean right there. That's where the battle is happening, and that's where Bay Ridge has been engaged and involved. Many of these flags and nations we pray for are there, and we are actually redeploying some resources right now from missions areas where we've been involved for a long time, and the good news is it's worked. Places like Guatemala that were largely unreached a, a generation or two ago are now largely reached. And so we are trying to redeploy and get more engaged here in the 1040 window because this is where the battle is happening. Now, that's all some difficult news, but I want to tell you there's some good news. Let me give you some good facts of what God is doing as the church has been awakening to this. It is estimated that more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 15 years than in the previous 15 centuries combined. Fifteen years more than the previous 1,500 years. Most of the fastest growing churches in the world right now are in Islamic countries. Nigeria. There was one Anglican diocese at the end of World War I. One. Now there are 156 dioceses with 20 million worshipers every Sunday. The, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, if you will, in Nigeria dwarfs the Church of England in England. It is, one of the, it is actually the largest Protestant church body in the world, and it almost did not exist one century ago. It is growing rapidly. And Nigeria is about 50% Christian and 50% Muslim. It is a fault line. It is a battleground spiritually. We need to be praying for them. China is the largest evangelical church in the world today by all estimates and is growing rapidly. There are more evangelical Christians worshiping in China this weekend than there are in America. Okay, and we, need to, we need to see this. If I say, what does the average Christian look like, and you think me, you don't understand. They don't. It's a little brown or yellow-skinned woman living in a third-world country somewhere. The gospel is growing in leaps and bounds across the globe. 
Many missiologists think the fastest growing church in the world today is Iran. How many of you think about Iran Christians? Fastest growing church in the world. Not stagnant like we are. The day that the U version that many of us have on our iPhone, the day they released it uh, with the, the Farsi language uh, New Testament, the app download rate in Iran was unbelievable. People wanted that. They had printed over a million New Testaments before. They can't print them quick enough and smuggle them in quick enough. Everybody in Iran wants a New Testament. It is estimated that more Iranians have come to Christ in the last 35 years since Ayatollah Khomeini. Okay? When I was a young midshipman at the academy, my plebe year was the year that they had grabbed all the hostages. Everybody remember that? You had the 400-plus days of holding the hostages. Since that time, more Iranians have come to Christ than in the previous 1,400 years since Islam had come there. The effect that Ayatollah Khomeini has actually had is the church is growing because you cannot stamp out the gospel of Christ. It does not. It will not work. We were supposed to have in a couple of weeks the mission group we work with underground in Iran be here, but they are so busy they couldn't even come back to talk with us right now, so we're trying to set up to have them here in 2017 because we're like, keep striking while the iron is hot. That is all good news. Let me give you some more good news when I talk about 2 billion unreached. Look at this graph right here. This represents the number of uh, the rate of non-Christians and nominal Christians to practicing Christians. Okay, so this is not that if you just say you're a Christian, you're part of the Christian group. No, this is saying people who are actually practicing believers, what's their number as opposed to everybody else in the world? In A.D. 100, at the close of the New Testament, it was 360 to one believer. And you can see how it tracks down. In 1,000, it's 270. In 1,500, at the beginning of the Reformation, it's 85, 21, 13. It is seven today. How many of you think that you might be able to reach seven people as opposed to trying to reach 360? Never been lower than it is today. That's the march of the gospel across time. That is every people, every tribe, every language, every nation coming and worshiping around the throne. Let me show you one other graph that goes with this. There are more churches per unreached people group than ever before. All the way down, if you notice, at AD 100, it was 1 to 12. There was one church for every 12 people groups that had not been reached by the gospel, as far as we can tell, by trying to piece things together. It comes all the way down. If you notice, it was 1 to 5 around uh, 1,000 AD. It was 1 to 1 around 1,500. There was one church for one unreached people group. Today, there are 1,000 churches for every unreached people group. We have enough army. The only question is, do we want to deploy? Or do we like drilling, fit and polish, but never quite getting around to the battle? And I encourage you, think about what most of the Christian books are that are sold. Most of what you can hear on TV and radio. Is it about this? It's not. It's about how I can be happy and how I can do things and me, 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 me. And Jesus says, if you're not going to use the army I've built up, I need to borrow it. Because there's a battle going on. And there are two billion people with no access to the gospel. Does that drive our prayer? Does that drive our giving? Does that drive our concern? Well, how do we apply this? I'm going to be brief, and then we're going to pray. Let me remind us the heart of this is the gospel. That's what this is all about, the gospel. God promised the gospel to Abraham. He fulfilled it through our Lord Jesus Christ. John saw it in his vision. The gospel has come, and the gospel is central to everything. God has promised to bless people in every people group or clan with the gospel. 
you and I were far from Abraham. Gary asked us last week, how many of us in here are physically Jews? Anybody? Zero. Okay? And yet, you who were far off from the gospel, from God, from his covenant promises, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Consider how amazing that is. You have been grafted into Israel. You have been brought into the people of God. And and a 1,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago, nobody would have believed it regarding us. But yet God has done that. The good news has reached us. If you are here and you're not a believer, I want to urge you the most important thing I can say today to you is not all of this other stuff. You can't go on mission until you're part of God's people. Have you responded to the gospel? There is only one way of salvation. The gospel does not make it easier to be saved. It makes it possible to be saved. There is no other means of salvation. You and I were not sick in transgressions and sins. We were dead in transgressions and sins. We were not just a little, you know, well, God had good days and bad days. We were under the wrath of God, righteously under the wrath of God because of our sin. But in Christ, we are offered full forgiveness. If you are here and you have not responded to that, I urge you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want everybody to be around that throne on that day. I wish every single human being would be gathered around that throne worshiping. It is what you were made for. It is what you are longing for. There is a void in your soul, and you cannot fill it with all of the things that we want to fill it with. We want America is on a mission to stuff it all with things, and it'll never work. Shiny objects become pieces of junk that you're going to sell at a garage sale a year or two down the road but we give our lives for them. Don't hear the gospel and respond. If you are here and you're a believer, then I want to encourage us. The call to us is we're called to spread the gospel to every people group. If you wonder why do we pray for missions every week, why is it most years upwards of 20% of what comes into this church goes to mission work? Why is that? Because our building is so nice We couldn't possibly find anything else to spend it on, right? Please hear me. I'm glad we're being able to work on the building, but I want everybody to know this and hear this from me. And if you've known me for any length of time, you'll know this. Can I die and stand before Jesus happy if our building never got fixed? Because I do not believe on that day he's going to judge me and he's going to judge this church by how nice our building was. He is going to ask us, were you engaged in the mission? Were you engaged in reaching out with the good news? And like Scott said, I do want to encourage us. We have been. I'm not preaching this because we have not been involved. We have been. But we need to continue to be. And it's easy to kind of forget and just get on with life. I want to encourage us and renew us in our praying. We ask everybody every week to pray for our missionaries that we're praying for. This month, it's Touch of Christ in Iran. We're going to pray for them in just a moment. I want to encourage you, pray for them every day. You may never go to Iran. We are called to pray for the gospel to penetrate through that place. And it is happening because Christians have prayed. How many of you can remember when the Iron Curtain came down? Man, I remember when I was watching that happen, and if you were old enough back then, your jaw was on the floor. You couldn't believe it. Every day something was on the news and something else happened. Christians had been praying for that for decades. We had been praying. Well, there's another curtain now. It's the curtain around the Muslim world. And we need to be praying for that curtain to come down. Don't go first to political things and what do we think about this? Well, we need to be about the gospel. That is first. That is primary. And you and I need to be engaged fervently in praying for it. Does God hear our prayers? Consider where we are. A thousand churches to one unreached people. Because God has been gracious kind. And we need to pray that he will do the same. And so 
I want to encourage you that you've been blessed because of Abraham's covenant. You've been given the gospel. And we are blessed to be a blessing. And that is primarily about the gospel. It's primarily about us doing it. You're going to have opportunities this week. Here in a reached people group, there are still unbelievers. And you got an opportunity this week to spread the good news of Jesus to them. They may respond. They may tell you you're a nut job. That's okay. Not my job to convert them. My job to tell them. The Holy Spirit can convert them. But he does tell me that I am called to speak. But we are also part of God's worldwide mission. And so we're going to try and continue to keep trying to reach every people group with the gospel. For those of you who've been around for years, you remember we used to have a little saying around here, and I want to re-engage it in our church. There are only three types of Christians when it comes to God's mission. You're either a radical goer, one who's actually sent cross-culturally. You're a radical sender, one who gives money, prays, supports those who go. Or you are radically disobedient. There is no other option. You're either called to radically pick up and go. You are called to radically be engaged in sending. Or you are being radically disobedient. You are General McClellan. Wandering around, not wanting to engage in the very thing you were brought to this time and this place for. Be countercultural by not focusing. We think everything is about America. It's not. It's about God's worldwide mission. So let's stand together, and we're going to pray for the flourishing of the gospel in all people groups. And today we're going to particularly pray for Iran. And I want to encourage you to pray along with me. God promises that when we pray together, there is special power. And I want to encourage us, God is on the move. I hope you're encouraged by hearing things like Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Be encouraged. The gospel is prospering like never before. Don't Get down in the mouth and believe. Western Europe is a mess. North America is becoming a mess. But the gospel is growing like wildfire everywhere else. And if they have to, they'll come back here. They'll bring it back to us. Amen? Father, we are so grateful that the gospel of Christ has prospered. I am grateful that when John looked and he saw that vision, and there was a multitude that could not be numbered, God, I'm grateful I was one of the people in that vision. Father, I am grateful that when Abraham was told to look up and count the stars, and there was more than he could count, Father, I'm grateful one of those stars was lit for me. Father, I am grateful for the gospel. Lord, I am grateful that the people here today, we were all part of that multitude or John's vision. We are all part of those stars that are there. Father, how good you have been to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I again humbly admit I am not worthy. I am your child not because of righteous acts I have done, but because of your grace and mercy, unmerited and free, given to me in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as those who have received that gospel, as those who have been blessed Father, we pray that the blessing would extend out. Father, we pray that the blessing would go forth. Father, this morning we specifically pray for the country of Iran. Father, we pray for Touch of Christ Ministries that is at work over there. Oh, God, we pray that you would bless them. Father, I pray that walls would come down even further in Iran. Father, there is a time that the area that we now know as Germany was full of darkness, and then you brought a monk named Martin Luther forward, and the gospel blazoned out from there. Father, right now, Iran seems to be dark, but God, you are at work. Father, I pray that you would raise up people there in Iran. Father, I pray that you would raise up resources from outside of Iran, and that they would mesh together 
And that, Father, the people there in that country would hear and respond. Father, I pray for them as they are laboring under the false god of Islam. Father, as they are working night and day to try and keep laws and do everything right, and they find it to be empty because the law cannot save. Father, I pray that your gospel would break forth. I pray, Father, that Iran would become ablaze with the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that like South Korea, they would take their place even in our lifetime and be a country that is sending missionaries to other places saying, we don't need more here. We're sending them to other countries. We're getting into Saudi Arabia. We're going for Mecca itself. Father, I pray that you would raise up across the Muslim world more and more bold witnesses who are willing to live and even die if need be for the gospel of Christ that those who have not heard would hear. Father, I pray for us that we would not be shaped by our culture so that our faith would be turned inward. But Father, I pray we would join you in the glorious adventure of being on mission. Father, I pray that we would continue to be part of this in our regular prayers that are fervent. Father, in our giving that is sacrificial to get the gospel to other places and in our own personal witness and testimony. Father, I pray that we would be radical goers, radical senders, and that we would not be among the ranks of the radically disobedient. Father, I ask that you would do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to receive the blessing of God from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to you and bless you and make his face shine upon you so that his ways may be known on earth, his salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise our God. May all the peoples praise him. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for God rules the peoples justly and he guides the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you so that there will be abundant blessing. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will hear and believe. Receive the blessing of God. Be the blessing of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.